0: Welcome, everybody, to
1: another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside Indy Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best premium socks I've ever owned. Okay, Christmas is over, but the return season has just begun. Didn't get the gift you wanted? Looking for something to replace that tacky gift you had to send back? Dead Soxie has you and your feet covered. Head over to deadsoxy.com and use code LUCKY at checkout for savings exclusive to our inside indie sports community. That's right, LUCKY, L-U-C-K-Y, gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders with no minimum purchase required. This deal isn't available to the general public, so you'd be wise to take advantage of it. Visit deadsoxy.com and shop your favorite navy and gold styles or any of the collections on the site. Happy holidays from Dead Soxy, and as always, stay soxy. Gator Bowl week is finally here. Soon we'll be able to take a few-hour break of talking Notre Dame recruiting and transfer portal activity and watch some actual Notre Dame football. But to be clear, we love all those things this time of year. We also love offensive line play on the Inside Indy Sports podcast, but I think it's fair to say that our guest today, former Notre Dame All-America offensive lineman and current CBS sports analyst Aaron Taylor, loves offensive line play even more than us. Aaron, thanks
2: for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure, man. It's always a pleasure jumping on with you and Big E to talk the Irish. Aaron, let's let's jump
1: straight into this Gator Bowl matchup. South Carolina has allowed 200-plus rushing yards in three of the last four games of the season for itself and will also be without two of its starting defensive linemen. So how fired up should Notre Dame's offensive line be going into this Gator Bowl?
2: I think they should feel pretty good. It's probably the biggest mismatch on paper is Notre Dame's ability to run the football against a South Carolina unit that, uh, to your point, has struggled. But they've also beaten two top 10 teams back to back in their last two outs. So this is a team that's going to have a ton of confidence and would love to add Notre Dame's pelt to its resume to finish this season. Uh, what Shane Beamer's done down there is just absolutely amazing. I remember when he got hired a couple of years ago, it was kind of like almost hokey. And we were all, you know, looking like, man, is this going to work? This guy's not experienced. He's playing in the SEC. How's he going to be able to figure this thing out? But boy, has he ever. So uh, both these teams are going to look quite a bit different than we saw them during the regular season because of guys that just aren't going to be in the game for a variety of reasons. But uh, a really good opportunity to kind of in the season, strong, going to the spring with some confidence, and I'm sure both uh, programs would love to come out victorious. Not going to be easy out for either of them, so it should be a good game. So, Aaron, I want to jump in with an XO question.
0: You mentioned the mismatch on paper for the offensive line, and yet there were a couple of games where that appeared to be the case, and it didn't play out that way. Stanford being one of them, uh, with them doing a lot of movement before the snap and so forth navy who was really good against the run against everybody but still small and usc who wasn't really good against the run against most teams and gave notre dame some or at least forced notre dame to be a passing team so if south carolina does that what's what's harry he and tommy
2: reese's answer well, N- Notre Dame, to your point, they they were inconsistent, but when you watch the tape and, and you're spot on about Brian Newberry, their defensive coordinator, who just got elevated to the head coaching position, taking over for Ken Montalolo, he schemed up everybody extremely yeah. well, and especially, you know, half over half, the adjustments that he makes, he just, he gives everybody's fits, and that certainly was the case with Notre Dame's line this year people stopped Notre Dame's run by loading the box. They weren't threatened by the vertical pass game. So you have confidence in your safeties. You have confidence in your corners and your nickelbacks. You can bring that extra body back into the the line of scrimmage. There's just nobody to block them. So teams kind of sold out against Notre Dame and said, Hey, you're going to have to throw to beat us. And a couple of them are right. They weren't able to do that. Certainly was a case against Stanford. Um, But I'd look for that, especially with South Carolina losing some good interior defensive linemen, as you mentioned, that aren't going to be in this game. Uh, But if Tyler Buckner plays with his mobility, that completely changes things because he becomes an instant runner and changes the math. It becomes a plus one. So the defenses have a much more difficult time because of the extra gap that that creates. So there's going to be some good cat and mouse there, I think, leading up to game time. And once they kick off, it's going to be business as usual. But When you, I mean, if you have five offensive linemen, you have six gaps, right? So if you bring a seventh guy down, there's an extra body that isn't blocked. So that's effectively, in an oversimplified way, what teams were doing. And it makes it hard to run on anybody when you're doing that. So that's where having a quarterback that can make you pay for loading the box by taking the top off certainly comes in handy. And that just wasn't something Notre Dame could do with the receiving core that it had this year.
1: Aaron, I thought at times the line struggled to to respond to maybe some slants or some games that the defensive lines were 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 running against them. What what is sort of the schematic answer to that in the running game, and is it just a matter of making sure everyone's on the same page and communicating for the offensive line?
2: Yeah. I mean, you go in there with a game plan and it's like Mike Tyson, you say, you know, everybody's got a game plan until they get punched in the mouth. Well, the defense lines up where they're supposed to line up until the ball gets snapped and everybody moves. That's the one thing that's unique about football is that on the snap of the football, everybody in the field moves. And that makes it hard for an offensive lineman. Our first steps are so critical, our landmarks, making sure we get our head and hat placements where they need to be, When you have people that start in in one spot and spike inside or stunt exchange move, it makes it really difficult to come off and be physical. So a way that you can pick a lot of that up is to run outside zone where you just running to an area and you let the guys kind of block themselves. You can also run some gap scheme stuff where you can double team on the play side, pull the backside offensive lineman and kind of pick up all the trash. Duo is another way that you can do that um, to have some shoulder to shoulder double teams at the point of attack. Offensive linemen have to be aggressive to be successful. And what movement does is it makes that little hesitation take place. And if you're a good enough defensive lineman, you can get penetration with that. The entire thing breaks down. So teams are going to see that on tape. They People weren't able to do it a whole lot, but they did have some success. So, When I was in the NFL, Tom Lovato, offensive line coach in Green Bay, said, man, you guys are opening up a can of worms. Everybody's going to do this to you until you can figure out a way to stop it. That could be this week. It could be next week. It could be in week 12. But until you guys figure out a way to pick this stuff up, we're going to see it every week. So I'd imagine that South Carolina, that's probably where they're going to start. But they've also both had some time off to be able to kind of do a deeper dive on what the personnel and play calling and those things are going to be, getting ready for two different quarterbacks. But all that stuff kind of sorts itself out. But this time off between the end of the regular season, no conference championship game, playing a later bowl game is the type of thing with a young offensive line that's played some snaps together, you can really work, work it in, in, in those sort of things, hoping to have a better uh, outcome when you're playing against a game cox. So when I'm watching the Clemson game
0: from the press box on November 5th, I'm thinking about this is the Harry He stand line Aaron Taylor talked about in preseason that we would see that bullies a pro <laughs> front seven. Um, they did. They weren't a finalist for the Joe Moore Award. How far away were they and what maybe kept them from getting to that point?
2: Yeah, Eric, that's a, a great question. And and candidly, I, I think we may have missed there. And Notre Dame should have been a semifinalist. I don't know if they were good enough to to be a finalist yet, but boy, had it been a sixteen game season, they probably would have been their their week over week progression from, you know, the first quarter of the season to the first half of the season. And that Clemson game was really kind of what woke us all up to just the magic of what Harry Heestand does with simplicity it's just repetition over and over and over their first steps whether it's against the run or in pass sets their hand and hat placement fundamentals of of up and down leverage of inside out leverage with their hands their their in pass setting i've always thought that when you watch people in the way that they use their hands on the offensive line is a real tell about how well they're coached because it's so unnatural. We, by our nature, want to grab and put our hands outside, especially if you have somebody that's fast, but you give up your chest and you're just not as effective. Harry demands that those guys do not do that. And that really, to me, was what separated them out and and gave me confidence about what it is that they were going to be able to do. I think some of the guys looked at the inconsistencies at times in terms of production, um, but I probably need to make a call to that offensive line room. I texted Harry. Uh, after our semifinalists came out and I said, I oh, you in your room, an apology. Uh, I haven't talked to him since. I'm kind of waiting for the bowl <laughs> game to, to slow itself down. So if you guys call me in a couple of weeks and my ass is chewed off, you probably know why. Um, but just watching what he did and with the injuries and the position changes and young tackles, uh, it's just he's the best there is in football, man. It's, it's incredible what he can do. And he had some good groceries in that room to Jeff Quinn's uh, credit. But when Harry gets a hold of good players, you get to see what you're going to see. And I wouldn't be surprised if they win the thing next year, given the trajectory and how strongly they finished 2022. Aaron, as
1: you can imagine, some Notre Dame fans don't love the idea that Michigan has won the Joe Moore Award uh, in consecutive years now. How has Michigan been able to do that? And I think um, one thing that's interesting to me is that they were able to bring in a guy like Oluwatimi. Uh, into that offensive line and sort of make that transition, I guess, seamless from the outside, at least. How has how how Michigan been able to do that? And do you think that um, that's something that is continuable, that you can bring in sort of uh, experienced offensive alignment and make that work, where at a position where maybe I don't think people
2: assume you can sort of bring new faces in and it, it sort of work right away? Yeah, Oluwotini really was the difference for him this year. Uh, Michigan last year, the unit that won it, was really consistent. They played with one set of eyes. They they played as a team extremely well, but they weren't overly physical. But it was undeniable how consistent they were, how good their technique was. Uh, and they rose to the occasion when it mattered most. We saw that again this year, but there was an element of physicality that I think Oluwatimi brought and that they worked on over the course of the year that really was the differentiator between them and Georgia, who was the, the only other uh, finalists that we had this year. This was the first time we've only ever had two finalists. So that was something that was unique. This certainly was the unprecedented uh, for a team to win it back to back. I don't know if that's ever going to happen again. If we look out 50 years from now, they're probably one of maybe one or two units that will have a chance to do that. But NIL in IL and the portal does change that. Michigan was able to benefit from that. Notre Dame may benefit from that at the quarterback position if the rumors about Sam Hartman coming are true. It's, it's the wild, wild west, man. And I think we're going to see some boom or bust cycles from not only position groups, but teams as a whole within college football. And I think Michigan's ability to win back to back was a testament to that. This was one of the closest votes we've ever had. There were five votes that were differentiating between Georgia uh, winning it and Michigan winning it. So it wasn't a whole lot. And at the end of the day, we're just a bunch of fat kids trying to pick our favorite flavors of ice cream. And it was the consistency and the teamwork uh, and rising to the occasion and being poised when it mattered most that Michigan brought that I think swayed those couple voters the other way. Uh, Georgia could have easily won this thing man they punished people at the point of attack they were dominant the first cut up uh, that they sent was what a a game we had watched against Auburn like five or six weeks ago, where they're 30 yards downfield peeling dudes off the pile like that has to be encouraged that has to be the identity of what it is you want your lines to look like so I always call the coach that doesn't win. And I had a pretty difficult, but a very fair conversation with Stacy Searles, Georgia's O-line coach, who, based on what our criteria was, felt that they should have had it. A lot of people felt that way as well. Again, it was only five voters that were uh, the, the difference there. But Georgia, I just I can't say enough about how well they played this year and how physical they were. And I wouldn't be surprised if their line, their unit up front is why they get to the national championship and probably win it this year. Aaron, um, you know, Joe Alt ended up
0: making every major All-American team. He was first team on one of them. He was four, second team on the other four, the five that make up consensus All-American and unanimous All-American. Um, And I thought he was going to be really good this year. I guess I didn't see that coming. And now it's like, wh- where does he go from here? How does he get better how good is this guy when you start stacking him up against you know the Ronnie Stanleys Mike McGlinchies
2: and that that group w- what do you think his ceiling looks like i think he could have a a similar type ceiling if if he continues to progress the way that he has i mean it, his consistency i know is something that they wanted to work on and that's really when you're playing at the level he's playing you're you know it's pimples on on the 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 butt of a of a uh uh, the what is it, the beauty queen? I guess where you're, you're just you're, you're that delta of difference of you know not just making the block but dominating, getting that hand just inside or having that kick set be specifically what it is you want and replicatable over and over and over and over and over, and over again. And I think with the benefit of him being as young as he is, having another winter conditioning, having another spring football, having another summer workouts, having another full fall season that uh, the sky's probably the limit for him. It's interesting, man. Like, when you look at his stance and how high his butt is, it, it, it's they're, on the snap of the ball, I'm like, how can he move out of that stance? But he somehow figures out a way to do it, and that's the one thing in the pass protection that it looks like he wants to get even more consistent on. I know Harry drills that into these guys over and over and over and over and over, and over. But it's undeniable what he and the rest of those guys did. I mean, everybody was on an upward trajectory throughout the season, and you could just see it. And I think for fans listening, the difference between Harry's lines and all other lines is the strain and the finish and the acceleration on contact. You don't make contact and stop your feet in the hole, you're continuing to drive. And when it is a stalemate and you continue to put pressure on that defensive lineman, at some point he's got to let go of pressure take an arm off and try to make the tackle. And if you're coached well and you're waiting for that moment, that's when you can tip a guy's ass over. And it goes from being, you know, second and nine to second and four. Those are the things that are really hard to see on television. You have to watch the game tape to see it. And it's there in spades with Harry's group. And Joe was one of the, you know, I guess the mainstays of being able to see that. It just, it's different, man. It's details. It's the little things. And it's what he's done since, Uh, He's been at Notre Dame with his first go around, Harry Heastan, and it's just, uh, it's art to watch, man. It's done so extremely well. Aaron, Jarrett Patterson was playing
1: through a foot injury probably sooner than most people would normally play through that injury, and I think it took him a little bit to adjust to that. can Can you sort of describe the difference that he made for this
2: offensive line once he sort of got to feeling as close as he could to himself this year? Yeah, you could see it early on, man. I mean, he was out there gutting it out, just a tough sucker, man. He he was limping pretty bad early on. And he was moved over from the center position to guard, and that's a transition. Even though you're only one space over, things look different. The box counts are different. The type of player you're playing against is different. Your, your combination blocks with your tackles are a little bit different than they are with two guards inside. It, it's noticeably different. So if you're moving positions and you're banged up, it can make that development be a little bit longer. But what I was impressed with, to your point, Tyler, was how quickly he came back and just gutted it out. And you could see almost week by week, he started limping less. He started feeling more comfortable. And that inside got really solid when 55 started getting back to his old normal self. And I think that helped the center come along as well. And Lug was playing pretty dang well, as well as I've seen him play on that other side. So it uh, it was huge. And he, Jarrett was a guy that, you know, watching these last couple of years, like this dude's got a chance to be a player. And then boom, you know, they get in, you got to get your five best on the field. And they moved them from center to guard. And I think it proved to be the right move. And I just, you can't not be tough and play in Harry's room. And what's interesting is Howard Mudd had a great Quote, uh, when I was researching the Joe Moore Award early on, I was looking at different things. And Howard Mudd had this great quote about, you know, his linemen needing to be tough. And toughness was about, you know, how much pain and punishment we could ditch out. But he said, my offensive lines also had to have resilience. It's the flip side of that coin. And that's how much pain and punishment you can withstand. He said, my job as an offensive line coach is to raise my guys' resilience level so that they have no breaking point. And I really see that consistently with Harry's lines. And Jarrett Patterson is a perfect example of that.
0: Aaron, before we move away from the offensive line, um, you know, next year, there's going to, the two guards leave. So Patterson and Lugg are gone. There's a whole bunch of people that want to be those guards. You know, Christophic has been a starter. Rocco Spindler has been waiting. Um, there's a couple of tackles that would like to move inside. Uh, Baker and Carmody. And then you've got this kid named Billy Shrouth, and I don't know how much he was healthy when you were in South Bend. He was coming off foot surgery, so you may have never seen him, uh, and maybe you and Harry have talked about him. Uh, I'm just curious if you've heard the latest rumblings because he's coming. Uh, he's he's a freshman now, and and there's a lot of noise about what he can do.
2: Yeah, I I don't. And I haven't, uh, Eric, to be honest with you. Um, I do know that there's a lot of talent in that room. And winter conditioning in spring is where that talent will start to separate itself out. What's so unique about spring is that there's not the pressure of the game. It literally allows all positions to do what Harry's done you know from day one which is focus on the fundamentals if it was up to Harry or Joe Moore they'd do two hours of fundamentals and go in they'd never work as a team they'd never do anything else no situational football and the spring really gives you an opportunity to hone in and develop that talent so that's also where you get to see the leadership step up it's also where you get a chance to see how a guy recovers After he's not had a good series or a couple bad plays, it's where you get to really hone your craft without the pressure of being in a game, even though there's a lot at stake. So having a crowded offensive line room, man, there's nothing better than having guys duking it out at those positions because that'll continue over into the spring. However, the depth chart ends up and that'll carry over into the fall. And what you're going to end up with isn't a good starting five. You're going to have a great starting five, And three or four really good backups and as we know in college football you can't have enough depth especially at the offensive line position so it's going to bode those young guys well to keep grinding and keep playing and earn their way onto the field i'm really excited and super bullish on what notre dame's offensive line looks like who ends up there i don't think is as important right now for fans to understand is how much talent there is in that room especially with the guy that they have coaching it, I think we're going to see the Notre Dame offensive lines get back to what they look like when Notre Dame was nationally relevant. Aaron, you mentioned Sam Hartman already that uh, he, Wake
1: Forest quarterback entered the transfer portal today officially. um, And things seem to be aligning for him to end up at Notre Dame. If he does end up at Notre Dame,
2: what sort of significance is that for, for Notre Dame's 2023 season? Well, I, th- I think the f- the thing he does first and foremost is knocks Brady Quinn off the pedestal of most handsome quarterback in <laughs> Notre Dame. So- sorry, Brady, but I'm, I'm saying like Sam Hartman is dreamy, brother. Um, we've had a long-running <laughs> joke on our show about it. <clears throat> um, but he's thrown 77 touchdowns over these last couple of years. And the guy is a winner. We know that he's tough with the condition he had with the rib and that getting loose and what that could have meant. Uh, He's just a winner, man. 39 touchdowns, I think, last year. 38 this year through 12 interceptions. Um, He can stretch the football vertically. He absolutely torched Clemson this year. I know (laughs) Notre Dame played well against them as well, but they ended up being a top-10 team. They were a good defense, and he's just the type of player that you wonder why Wake Forest is so good because they have, you know, power five, top 15 quality talent at certain positions in the quarterback. Most notably, I think it would be the get of the offseason so far to get Sam Hartman in here. I know we've had some additions uh, through the transfer portal at the wide receiver position. But you take a good offensive line, an extremely deep and talented backfield with a quarterback that can take the top off. As a defense, you got to pick your poison. And I think that's going to be Tommy Reese's uh, reason to be extremely happy. Because when you have that much talent and have that much versatility, you can virtually call anything you want and make defenses commit to something and uh, the result is going to be in your favor. So I, I I can't say enough about what I've seen on tape from him and what that would mean to Notre Dame. I think that's the sort of thing we all sit here, man, how come Notre Dame can't get a good quarterback? that can da, 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 da. Well, we just may. And when we do, watch out now.
0: (laughs) You know, any question about NIL and the transfer portal just seems so broad. So I'm going to try to, narrow the focus here on this question as a notre dame alum are you comfortable with the way marcus freeman and notre dame handle the nil issues and the portal issues because it's not a level playing field in either place for them are you comfortable with marcus's stance and what notre dame's trying to do where there's not acquisition fees there's not you know dirty money going
2: around yeah, it, it's it's a dirty game, man. In, in college football, as we know it, is it's forever going to be different. Um, it's hard to walk those fine lines. I think Marcus and this staff and Jack and, and the whole athletic department, the other side of campus too, has been pretty clear about what it is that they want to do. And Notre Dame is one of those schools where it, it's more of a one-way street than it is a two-way street. Not everybody's credit's, Will, will count coming into Notre Dame where it's easy for Notre Dame players to leave. It's not necessarily easy for them to come in. And that's true with Stanford and Northwestern and Vanderbilt's we're kind of in that vein as well. So you have to be able to compete through the transfer portal and NIL to be able to stay nationally relevant. I think that that's probably why Alabama's maybe had some challenges. Clemson maybe had some challenges with Dabo's uh, commitment to wanting to stay uh, A culture driven guy where they don't take transfers. I don't think you can do that. We have too many examples of how quickly teams can turn things around USC, notwithstanding by having a player to or a coach or two come in. It just completely changes the trajectory, just like it will if Sam Hartman does indeed leave Wake Forest and comes to South Bend. So um The simple answer to your question is, yes, I am comfortable with what it is they're doing because they're willing to be able to have something set up in place to be attractive enough to have those players come. I don't think that the teams that threw money at it, and I'm looking at Miami, I'm looking at Texas A&M, and I'm looking at several others, the teams that only threw money at it created a bigger problem than I think they were expecting, and they've yeah. got to be able to figure that out. So I think in in the long run, that actually puts Notre Dame a little bit ahead of the game that they didn't go down that route.
0: My follow-up is, and this might be hard for you to think back, but would the 17-year-old Aaron Taylor been more interested in NIL than what Notre Dame had to offer, and vice versa on one day where Joe Moore's chewing your
2: ass Uh, when you're 19, would you have thought about the transfer portal? I mean if I had gotten to my Lamborghini after practice instead of my 77 Caprice Classic? (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, It's interesting, man. So when I took my recruiting trip, it was the first, you know, December 2nd, I think was the date back in 89. It was the the banquet that weekend, right? So I think 20 of the 26 of us that came in signed – uh, and then Jerome and a couple other guys came in the following weekend and ended up coming. But the thing I went back and told all my buddies at De La Salle about was that they had freaking fruit in the weight room, guys, bananas and apples and oranges and the succeed sports drink. Cause it get like, it gives you a bunch of carbohydrates. so You can have energy. And like, it was amazing guys. Like it was the most incredible weight room I'd ever seen. So those are the sort of things that appeal to 17 year old Aaron Taylor like apples and bananas, Eric. So I don't know what I would have done with the Nil money that's going around, what these guys are offering, but I think Notre Dame' is one of those unique places that recruits itself and it self selects the type of people that want to move from California to this cold ass place in the middle of nowhere that smells like sulfur or whatever the heck it is that smell is in the uh, in the uh, in the summer. Um, but the, the, the school and the people and the experience and knowing that they graduated 97% of their student athletes. And I wasn't the best student in the world, but I knew I wasn't 3%. So if I went to Notre Dame, at the very least, I was going to have a college degree. I had no idea whether or not I was going to be good enough to play in the NFL, but I knew I needed a college degree. So I checked that box. So the same things that appealed to 17 year old Aaron Taylor back in the early nineties would certainly appeal to me today. Uh, And yeah, it'd be nice if I could drive a Lamborghini after practice (laughs) uh, with some of these guys, but man, it's, uh, it's incredible. (laughs) What they're able to create and enjoy for some of these guys is, you know, generational changes of the trajectory of their families before they even get to professional athletics. I think there's a lot of unintended consequences and problems that come with it, but overall, I think 10 years out, it's going to be a net positive thing. Aaron, we are one game away
1: from Marcus Freeman's first entire season at Notre Dame Wood. What are your overall
2: thoughts of how this season has gone for him and
1: how he has handled everything that's come with it?
2: Man, it it was a big first job for him. And I think a lot of us like all pulling for him, all super excited. The energy that he brought uh, crushing the recruiting trail early on. And then the start of the season happened, it was like, ooh, uh uh-oh, okay, these late game adjustments, maybe not as well as you would want to see some of those things go. And there was some doubt. And I think the thing that as we've gotten to this point heading into the bowl game was how willing he was to allow the staff as a whole and the program as a whole to find the best solution. I think a lot of young coaches, it's my way or the highway, and it's important for them to be right. I think Marcus Freeman is a guy where it's more important that the team got it right than for him to be right. And the consigliere's and the experience that he had in, in the locker room and in the staff room, I think really paid itself dividends. There was no panic in this team. And I think that's uh, as big of a testament of anything that you could say. It wasn't always as consistent as you as want. It wasn't always as pretty as you as want, but it was, Notre Dame football, it was always gritty. It was always tough. There weren't teams that pushed us around. We had some limitations, but teams knew that they were playing against us. (laughs) And it was a physical matchup on the lines of scrimmage. We know what his background is as a defensive coordinator. We know the aggressive style of play that he's brought on that side of the football. And I think Notre Dame is positioned now that you've kind of shaken the cobwebs out, I am super high and super bullish on this team, especially if you can bring a Sam Hartman and a difference maker at the quarterback position. That's been the one thing that's been really challenging for the offense to try to play around. But if you have the running game, the offensive line, you get some receivers that can take the top off and a quarterback that can get them the football. I think we'll always have the quality of athlete on the defensive side to be a top 10 team perennially and every third or fourth year or so make a run at a natty.
0: Aaron two more the first one's a football question you know we're two years away from the playoff expanding to 12 teams you have a lot of opt-outs even now with COVID gone there's a lot of guys either because of portal reasons or because of NFL reasons even guys that may not even get drafted are opting out do you think in two years we're even going to have
2: a Gator Bowl I don't know man um it, it reminds me a little bit of the, uh, the NIT tournament, right? Like yeah. it gets played, but who's, who's watching it really, right? Yeah. It's nice to go do, but how relevant is it? I mean, I got a coastal and East Carolina game on at the taping of this podcast right now. And I've probably seen total of games played so far, less than an hour of bowl games they are just, they're not relevant. And when they are players that you expected to see, aren't there. It's just not appealing as it was in the past. And I think the importance on the playoff is largely responsible for that. So to your point, I think when we move to 12 teams, it's just going to become more and more irrelevant and more emphasis is going to be put on the playoff as it should be. Um, And I think those are going to be the teams that the players stick around, where they don't opt out, where they are playing for something special and could put their mark on you know, their university and and possibly you know have a shot to win a national championship. I think that's enticing enough to have these guys stay. But the bowl system, in my opinion, is in trouble. They're, they've been in trouble for a while. You look at the people that are in attendance, there's just no crowds there. It's made for TV events that isn't even really good TV in most cases. So I think us as an industry are going to have to really look at the value proposition of what that is. So yes, there probably is in a couple years a Gator Bowl, but in 10 years, does it look like it does now? I doubt it.
0: Okay. And then the last thing, I know that you have really had some powerful messages in this last year about mental health. And I'm wondering if you can tell us the why it's so important to you and maybe what are some great resources for people that that want to know more?
2: Yeah, that's great. A thoughtful question, Eric. I appreciate it. Uh, my why is that I've lost nine to completed suicide from my football and social circles and dozens more for what we call deaths of despair. And that's, you know, addiction and overdose and those sort of things where it wasn't an intended suicide, but led to a premature or unnecessary death, nonetheless. So I've done what I've always done. And that's trying to be a good teammate. Now it just looks like doing that in the mental health circles. So I created a a website called Mental Health Best Practices. It's a a work in progress, but it literally was just that, an aggregation of resources of, you know, how to elevate people's moods and how to sleep better, how to eat well, and some of the more common things, how to decrease anxiety. Um, And I've had some success there. And I've always kind of just been a dude that's been willing to go first. When I got to Notre Dame, Coach Moore and uh, the defensive line coach said we need two guys to step up to to do a, a leverage drill. And without hesitation, Bryant Young and myself stepped up and, you know, stalemated and did that, you know, every day for uh, four straight years. But that willingness to step up and and put it on the line with things that matter just kind of always been something in my DNA. So a lot of what I do is I share my story, share what it was like. Uh, growing up in a divorced household, being sexually abused, being physically abused, you know, suffering from abandonment, being the new kid in school, having racial identity issues, not feeling black enough, not feeling white enough, feeling too black, feeling too white, and then moving all the time. Like that was a lot to deal with. And I showed up on campus with Notre Dame with, you know, that is my lived experience. So it wasn't, The things that happened to me that determined what it was I became, it was what I did about those things. So I share a lot of that and it's stuff that most people can do to begin to improve the outcomes in their life because we've all been through the damn meat grinder these last three years, man, and it's ongoing. So it's not one in five, it's five and five. All of us to a certain degree struggle with, with this scale, this continuum. And it's our resilience is a muscle that we can develop. So one of the things that we talk about is what what are the blocking and tackling? What are the lifting uh, exercises that you can do to start to train your brain? Because we can unlearn how we learn to be if we're willing to spend some focus, attention and time and effort on a consistent basis, just like we were treating a physical injury. If we treat our invisible injuries that way, we can begin to improve our outcomes on a day-to-day basis. So uh, my my message to folks is, hey man, I get it. It's tough, but hang in there, keep moving, keep breathing and believing. We're all going through it right now, but, uh, you know, we can control what our life experience is and we're willing to change how we look at things and where we place our focus and attention with some consistency, then we can start to, to improve the way that we feel on a day-to-day basis. And uh, I just, I'm honored to be able to do what I do and little under the weather now. So my, my brain isn't too clear, but uh, I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to talk about things that matter and also stuff that's really fun, like Notre Dame football.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on, not feeling well, because I know you were, you must've taken a little bit of cough medicine earlier because you, you barely coughed during it, but I know you were really struggling with that earlier today.
2: Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm 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 a real go getter, Eric. Struggling through a, a little coughing spell. Yeah. <laughs> I've, well, now that I'm 50, 50, some nil money I'm celebrating. If, if you need some nil money,
0: we'll say this was brought to you by Dayquil. Yeah,
2: and, and here we go right there. Okay, <laughs> Dayquil kids, because I can't have everything with alcohol in it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, well, Aaron, we always appreciate you joining us. Uh, obviously, with uh, some more important topics than just Notre Dame football, but uh, we appreciate you talking plenty of football with us and up the HUDs as well. So, uh,
2: best of, of wishes going into the new year, and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Yeah, I appreciate you guys, what you do for the sport of football in general, but especially there in South Bend. You guys are a real testament to what it takes to cover the game and do it as well and consistently as you guys have done. So I always enjoy hopping in on with you and just want to say thank you for what you guys do. As a reminder, the Inside Indy Sports podcast
0: is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best dressed socks you'll ever wear. Well, Christmas is over, but the return season is happening. Uh, Didn't get the gift you wanted, looking for something to replace that tacky gift you had to send back. Dead Soxy has you and your feet covered. Head over to deadsoxy.com. That's D E A D S O X Y.com and use the promo code Lucky at checkout for a savings exclusive to our Inside Indie Sports podcast listeners. That's right. Lucky gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders, no minimum. This deal isn't available to the general public. Visit deadsoxy.com. Shop your favorite navy and gold styles. That's the team you love and the team we cover. Or any of the other collections. There's some pretty cool stuff with different colors. Uh, Remember, all the socks come with a patented technology with a no-slip guarantee made from bamboo for that premium luxury feel. Happy holidays from Inside ND Sports and Dead Soxy. And as always, stay soxy. All right,
1: now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185. And talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge Message Board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at Hansen ND. First one we have is from at Charles W. Wolf. Can you give us the latest on the quarter quarterback portal shopping?
0: Well, the the shopping um Changed today. The shopping list changed today, although I think this guy has, well, I know this guy has been on Notre Dame shopping list for longer than today, but uh, Sam Hartman, Wake Forest's fifth-year quarterback, will have one more year of eligibility, officially jumped in the transfer portal. If you're one of our subscribers and are on the inside, Frequent Insider Lounge, you know on Friday... Um, we passed along some news from Connor O'Neill from our rivals Wake Forest site Deacons Illustrated about um, the fact that um, he was reporting through a source that um, Hartman would enter the portal eventually and would, uh, would likely eventually pick Notre Dame. So um, some of the players at Notre Dame had been mentioned in connection with Notre Dame like Hudson Card, He's the latest that has moved on to another destination, Purdue. I was never high on that one, not because of his talent, but because of the three years of eligibility, I think would have caused some ripples with the younger quarterbacks that Notre Dame has recruited. Um, And if the Hartman thing somehow hit a snag, I think Notre Dame is smart enough to have a couple other options, but I think Sam Hartman really from the beginning has been the best fit, the best option. I certainly like Grayson McCall from um, Coastal Carolina, who's playing tonight as we tape on Tuesday night. But uh, um, I think Sam Hartman would be an absolute home run. And I think, you know, we should see those, see this starting to move, um, even though we're in a dead period now and there's no, in-person contact there can be now contact between sam hartman and the coaching staff of notre dame directly and so that's where we are with the shopping yeah and um i we don't have a
1: timeline necessarily at this point i mean he just got in the portal today so we um will work to continue to report on this now it's it'll be easier to report on from notre Dame side of things um than it was prior to him actually being in the portal uh But uh, yeah, like you mentioned, uh, it was uh, started. Start uh, Connor started a little bit of a ruckus by uh, reporting that on his message board and then bringing it over to us as well. Um, And I know it seems kind of strange that it would seemingly almost uh, be destined to happen before it had even necessarily begun. But um, we'll see what happens next. My guess at this point will be that Notre Dame will get him on campus for a visit to make sure everything's good. Um, And that visit would happen the week of the January 4th through the 8th, um, when there's a a, a visit uh, time that mid-year transfers could transfer. And then then he would ideally get on campus at Notre Dame in January and be ready to practice with the team for
0: the spring. So January 17th is the first day of classes. Um, And again, just kind of following up on what Tyler was saying, uh, and I've had people ask me this. They've said, well, how could there be this connection between Notre Dame and Hartman if he's not even in the portal? There the, the student can initiate third party contact. They could well, let's take Sam's name off of this. Let's just say Tyler James wanted to go into the portal. He could have his high school coach call Notre Dame and say, Hey, would you have an interest in? Tyler if he wanted to transfer to Notre Dame would you we know that you're looking for a quarterback we've seen that in stories would you have do you think there's a match here do you think uh, Tyler James could you know make it through the admissions process and so forth and that's how that contact could start and there could be you know things back and forth and certainly you know Tommy Reese's reputation you don't have to do a lot of research to you know, figure out what his reputation is. He has a lot of NFL concepts. Sam Hartman wants to improve his NFL stock because he's playing in an offense that doesn't enhance those things, Um, even though his arm looks pretty darn good in that offense. uh, But it's not something you see in the NFL. So um, that's how that's possible without there being tampering or violation. Like Phil Djokovic went from Boston College to Pittsburgh lightning quick and and that was because you know phil jakovic had in a connection with the Pitt um offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach and they were able to work through a third party i would assume uh to get that moving very quickly so that once he was in there he was out pretty quick and on his way to pittsburgh
1: yeah so i mean nothing's ever done until it's done so right uh, i right. know uh there's reason to potentially celebrate, and I understand people are getting excited. And we, um, I mean, if it doesn't happen, people will not be pleased with us for passing on the reporting that we passed wow. on. But um, that's, I think, that's where things are heading right now, and we'll um, continue to right. to monitor it as it crosses right. the finish line.
0: It, it's until it's final, and that's why a lot of the dealings. I mean, Notre Dame is much more hush hush about its transfer portal people than it is you know, recruits than it is. It's high school recruits. And so, uh, there, you know, again, you, you have until paper sign, he's coming, he's enrolled, you know, um, something else could happen, but, uh, we do not anticipate that. All right. Next question
1: we have is from M McDonough, UND. I believe that is the best way to translate the username, uh, from the insider lounge. Uh, Pretty excited about the possibility of Sam Hartman transferring to Notre Dame. Is it possible the best case for 2023 is still Tyler Buckner wins the quarterback competition because he plays like the guy he was projected to be coming in? Or or is Hartman behind the Notre Dame offensive line just
0: too good to pass up? Okay, before I say best case scenario, it is possible Tyler Buckner could win that um, competition. I don't anticipate that. But that could happen. What I think is the best case scenario, I think the best case scenario is for Sam Hartman to win the quarterback um, competition, look like he did in the bowl game the other night. Um, And then Tyler Buckner, who's almost the same exact size, I think they're both 6'1", 2'15". And if if you notice, Hartman didn't run a lot in that game, but boy, when he did, he was really effective who's also his footwork in the pocket and his fearlessness in the pocket was just amazing to me. Um, It was, and it's something Tyler Buckner could learn. It could help Tyler Buckner be better. And as long as Tyler Buckner's getting some play, you know, he's maybe has a role and he's learning. I think it's, it's, it's going to make Tyler Buckner a better player.
1: Yeah. I mean, while possible, I think it's it's a bit hard to imagine Buckner's 2023 ceiling being higher than Hartman's 2023 ceiling, but it, it's not impossible. Um, it just seems very unlikely. And I, I think the biggest thing is you know what you're getting with Sam Hartman. He's been a college quarterback for a long time. One of the funny things that, I, I, that sort of struck me when I was researching Sam Hartman was that he, his fourth career start as a freshman was against Notre Dame. And in that game, he played against Ian Book in Ian Book's second career start. Ian Book's been gone from Notre Dame for a while now. Left is Notre Dame's winning his quarterback, and Sam Hartman's still in college and um, is looking at playing another year of college football. So that, that's how much college football Sam Hartman has played. And so I just don't know that there's a lot that Tyler Buckner can do to beat him out. Now, it's not saying it's impossible, but um, it's just, uh, it's going to be a tall task for him to do that. And I, and I, I do think the offense can be, I mean, the, the best version of Notre Dame's offense next season with a strong running game with the receivers it has um would be with Sam Hartman as that quarterback. All right, next question is from LDL Go Irish on the insider lounge. This is a bit of a long one, so bear with me here. Notre Dame prides itself on offensive line play. The O-line room has a unique chemistry in that room. That unit performed well as the season went on, but in my opinion not good enough. Also, this unit needs to be dynamite, not good. Michigan has won the Moore Trophy two years in a row. They rushed to a 5.6 yards per carry to ND's 4.5. Right now, they may rightly claim to be O-line U, sickens me to say that. This year, they added a center transfer from Virginia who was lights out as a player. With the ND O-line room chemistry and talent, would Notre Dame's coaches ever consider transfers that it would, would improve the unit? Would the unit this year have been better if Notre Dame had taken the transfer from Virginia? Your and Eric's thoughts and analysis are always appreciated.
0: All right. One thing with yards per carry for a team, if your quarterback runs like J.J. McCarthy, your average is going to be a lot higher than if he runs like Drew Pine. If you put Drew Pine on Michigan and J.J. McCarthy on Notre Dame, maybe those numbers are reversed. I, Michigan's line was better, though. They they, they right. deserve to be the Joe Moore water winner. Would they take a transfer? Well, they just did in 2021. I mean, that was pre-Harry Heastand, uh, but they felt like they had a – experience gap that they needed to address through the portal they they added k madden he started all the games at right guard uh in 2021 um the thing is now i i don't think you have an experience gap or a talent gap that would require um a transfer the the other thing is i think if you feel like you're one player away from making the playoff and that player is an offensive lineman who's available in the portal, then I guess you would make it. But again, you're you're gonna cause ripples when whether they're big or small, when you take a transfer. You know, somebody's gonna be upset about it. Are they upset enough to go into the portal? You look at Hudson Card going to Purdue, and Brady Allen leaves after his freshman year quarterback at Purdue uh, when Hudson signs on. And so if you're Billy Shrouth or you're Rocco Spindler and Notre Dame goes and jumps and takes an offensive guard out of a portal, I think it'd be hard for all those guys that are competing for that guard to want to stay at Notre Dame. And so I think you got to be really careful that this player is going to put you into a national championship situation. Apparently with Michigan, that player did. I mean, that player could have been the difference between them making the playoff and not making the playoff. So uh, that's how I would look at it. I, I think, you know, they're open to asking themselves the question. The, the, the answer though probably is going to be no most of the time because they have the talent and they believe in that talent.
1: Yeah. To answer the, his his last question, Olu Oluwotimi would absolutely have made Notre Dame's offensive line better. I think, Zeke Carell was the weakest link on Notre Dame's offensive line, in my opinion. And um, Olu, Oluwotimi might have been the best offensive lineman at Michigan, uh, on a good offensive line, obviously. So um, I think uh, he certainly would have. I don't know that that was a name that Notre Dame had any connection with. It wasn't a name that crossed my – I remember crossing my radar during the offseason, but maybe it did, and things were already sort of um, destined for him to end up in Michigan. I don't, I don't know offhand what – what went into that transfer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I understand the question in, in regards to, this is a different sort of era of college football and Harry Easton hasn't necessarily been leaning on transfers. Um, so I, I I've never actually asked Harry Easton what he thinks about bringing in transfer guys, but my impression from knowing and observing Harry Easton as a coach he, he is not about kumbaya. He's about competing and earning your job and winning. And if the, the best way to do that is to bring someone in, I would be surprised if he had some sort of uh some thoughts or <laughs> philosophy against that. I, that, would, that would be a bit surprising to me. So if the, if the Notre Dame felt there was an answer there, I think they would
0: entertain that. I don't... I mean, he doesn't shy away from bringing in Billy Shrouth because he's worried that the guys that are older than him are going to be taken aback by how skilled he is. Right, and it's –
1: Notre Dame, I, I think, has, has recruited the offensive line better than Michigan has, even though Michigan has won Joe Moore awards. Um, I don't know that it is has necessarily stacked the the depth of its talent. I think that's why we've seen them also go to the transfer portal again this, this month and bringing in guys for next season because they don't feel like um, they're in a position to – just roll out the next guys for next year. Um, it's interesting to me, like two of the guys from Stanford. I, I don't know a lot of people that watch Stanford's offensive line. It's like, yeah, that offensive line is killing it this year. Like, yeah. So I don't, I don't really know. I have not studied those players closely enough to like say that they're not good players. Um, Collectively,
0: so, Stanford's offensive line wasn't good. Right. So, um,
1: just ask. We'll, McKee. we'll see how how that continues for for Michigan, but. Um, As for Notre Dame, yeah, I think there's guys that Notre Dame likes, and if there are guys in the portal that it liked better than the ones it had on its roster, I think Notre Dame would, would entertain that as well. All right, next question is from John of Gauntlet from at willing, willing Hum. What is ND's usage of NIL in the transfer portal relative to how they use it for high school recruits,
0: and how does ND stack up to other
1: colleges with NIL in the transfer portal?
0: Okay, well, their, their policy is basically the same in both instances. They're not going to pay a a acquisition fee, which isn't NIL at all. It's, it's cheating above board cheating. That's not going to be called on the carpet and calling it NIL. Uh,
1: Yeah. I don't even know that above board is really (laughs) the the right way to describe it either, but it's just, it's, it's happening more publicly, I guess.
0: Yeah. It's happening publicly. And, and, uh, you know, there's no fear of what this is going to, you know, no fear of retribution, but Notre Dame's stance is that they're Notre Dame saying we have NIL opportunities for you and our players have them. There's a floor of money that comes in and then there's going to be, if you're good enough and you're marketable enough, you're going to make a lot of money here at Notre Dame. And, the thing is we're not going to guarantee it to you but but what you get you will earn and there's going to be we have one of the strongest brands in the world so um you know you're going to have your opportunities with grad transfers or transfers grad transfers especially they can kind of jump in and get that money very i think a little bit more quickly than the right high school kids now how does this work versus notre dame versus other schools I mean, there are a lot of schools that do what Notre Dame's doing. There are a lot of schools that don't do what Notre Dame's doing. And I think everybody kind of knows who those schools are. Miami and Oregon and Texas A&M are the ones that are reputed to be paying acquisition fees to players. And so um, there's not a uniform approach to NIL. And schools may adjust their approach. They may get a little bit more daring with the acquisition fees or they may feel like they got burned and say this doesn't work we can show a track record of our players getting deals so um you know right now there's not a uniform you can't I think what's hard for fans is they can't put this in a box and predict what's going to happen uh, and they, there's a lot of extrapolating for one anecdote this is everything in college football it's not it's just so ununiform right now that it is hard to to say what the patterns are, are and what they're going to be two years from now.
1: Yeah, I, I think if Notre Dame is going to continue with its track and sort of this is how it wants to handle NIL, I think it needs to do a better job of probably publicizing all the different deals that are going on and how kids are taking advantage of it. I'm sure a lot of those conversations happen privately with the kids who need to have the that those conversations need to happen with. But I think they're being, I, I just don't know that there's like a public perception, which maybe maybe doesn't get to those recruits or does, that Notre Dame's not exactly killing it in NIL. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. They're just doing it in a different way than some of those other schools. I think if you're, if you're a big time player at Notre Dame, you're going to have opportunities to make money. All those guys did. Isaiah Foskey, Michael Mayer, um, Kyle Hamilton was the first to really cash in on on it in a big way. Um, so there, there are opportunities there, but yeah, like Sam Hart, Hartman, for instance, if he comes to Notre Dame and he's a starting quarterback, like Notre Dame doesn't have to like have like this, this, and this is going to happen. Um, we're guaranteeing this, like, Hey, th- we're Notre Dame. If you're a starting quarterback, you win a bunch of games for us. Like people are going to be forking over money at every, at every opportunity, uh, uh, for you. So he, he already had some NIL deals that are You just go to Sam Hartman's Instagram page of, of some of the things he was promoting um with different brands and so if that's um something he wants to do I think those opportunities would be here at, here at will be there at Notre Dame for him so um I think that's that's sort of getting to what you're saying they're not there aren't sort of separate policies for what Notre Dame's doing um from the transfer portal perspective versus the high school recruits perspective it's just it, they're, the, those transfer portal guys, because they're going to be graduate students, a lot more, most likely, and they're going to be guys that can impact the team right away. Um, the opportunities for those deals will be sooner and more immediate. All right. Next question is from Christopher Cruz at ChrisND92. Do you think the actual bowl game plan will protect Tyler Buckner from extra running hits, more passing and handoffs, or optimize his running skill set slash strength? What would you do if you're Marcus Freeman or Tommy Reese?
0: I think he has to play to his strength to win QB1 next year. Well, I think it starts with what South Carolina defensive coordinator Clayton White wants to do. Does he want to make Tyler Buckner into a um, dropback passer, which is something like Clemson tried to do the second time they played Ian Book in 2020? The first time Ian Book killed them with his outside running ability, Uh, they were able to keep him in the pocket and they stacked their defense to kind of do that. Or do they want, um, you know, to challenge Tyler Buckner to have to run the ball and be uncomfortable doing it. I mean, there's a, do they want to bring an extra player into the box and, and say, uh, let's, let's see your arm. Let's see if Tobias Merriweather can run uh, a go route and beat our defensive back. So, um, but ultimately, what Aaron taught Taylor talked about earlier, I think you're gonna have to run Tyler Buckner some um to to counteract what I think South Carolina will load the box against Notre Dame's run game. even with a bunch of their good pieces missing. I think that's what they're going to try to do. And Tyler Buckner has to be able to run. I mean, this is one of his assets. You can't put the guy in bubble wrap for the rest of his career. He's not injured right now. Uh, he has to be smarter with his running maybe um, than he has uh, and Notre Dame has to be smarter maybe not as many planned quarterback runs, but certainly maybe you know putting him on the move in the passing game, which he's really good. I mean I've when you watch him in practice and there's this one drill that I watched every practice, they'd have a stationary receiver and all the quarterbacks had to hit that stationary receiver on the run. And the only one that really did it consistently was Buckner. Pine didn't do it. Angeli didn't do it. Paulus didn't do it. Um, that Tyler Buckner was the one that could do that. So um, I think that, uh, again, your, your game plan isn't going to be like Brian Kelly's game plan for Jaden Daniels down at LSU and have him carry 25 times. But I think you have to let Tyler Buckner be Tyler Buckner.
1: Yeah. I, I just don't, they'll, they'll lean on him too hard. They're going to change it up with the running game and give him some carries here and there, but I don't think that's going to be the main objective, like establishing Tyler Buckner as a running threat. Um, I think that'll be more of a change up. Um, I think he has to protect. I think him. a change up is enough. Right. I, I think he has to protect himself with making quick decisions, throwing it away, sliding. There are a lot of things that he can do as the quarterback to protect himself and put him in better positions and, um, I would imagine that is being stressed to him uh at a at a high level I, I think you, you you play to win and you're putting him out there he's not being he's not like they're not going against doctor's orders by putting him out there that he is in physical condition to play um he is safe to play um obviously yeah, you don't want him, in slang. <laughs> he, honestly you don't want you won't you don't want him to put him at risk for the spring because that would be his opportunity to compete um to be the starter next season, but um I don't Notre Dame wouldn't be putting him out there if it was if it was that if he was if the if the fear was that severe that he's so fragile that he couldn't handle that, then Steve Angeli would be the quarterback. All right, next question is from at I Robert Doyle. Merry Christmas to you both. Glad you got some Canadian weather down there to celebrate appropriately. Are there any younger players who might get an extended look in the bowl game?
0: Um, yeah, I think there are, and we've talked about some of them, you know, I think Jalen Sneed at linebacker is going to have a role, um, offensively I, with Tobias Merweather back healthy, I think he's going to get some opportunities, uh, Holden stays with the depleted tight end core. They're going to have to use Holden, um. You know, Steve Angeli might have a minor role in this game. He may get some mop-up time. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say Ben Morrison because Ben Morrison is a starter, so we're not looking at him. But Jaden Mickey, I think, will play a lot at corner. Um, and then on the defensive line, interior, especially if Jason Adam Alola doesn't play and he's been, you know, he was banged up at the USC game, and I'm not sure that he's right yet. Um, so he was might... he was he did not practice today. I saw him in, in straight okay. close today at practice. Okay, okay. So, so Gabe Rubio is going to get some opportunities because they're going to shuffle around those interior linemen. I think Chris Smith will move over to defensive tackle. Um, and especially with Riley Mills, if Riley Mills is moving back outside, so you I think you'll see Gabe Rubio, you'll see Aiden Kiana Ina, uh, who's coming off of that um ACL tear. He played a little bit in the Boston college game but Al Golden said today you know he's looking back to himself and and that'll be a big lift for them the one person that Al didn't mention today that he mentioned earlier that I think I would like to see is Tyson Ford um I think uh, this would be a good opportunity for him to get some reps if he could have impressed in December and Al thought that that would be a possibility I just don't know today he didn't mention him but that doesn't he wasn't asked about him so um that's a possibility. Um, I think you stole all my answers, so I don't know that I have okay. any, any okay. names left. I think one that I don't know—I don't know. Did you say Chance Tucker? I didn't, but I—I I did hear Tariq Bracey was talking about him.
1: Right. That—that's one name that I—that I, I think people maybe wouldn't necessarily anticipate. Yeah. That I think could could get some playing time. That I think he's been doing some things, good things in bowl prep practices, um, and getting some opportunities there. Um, So that could be sort of an extra defensive back thrown into the mix there that could um, maybe see some playing time uh, on Friday. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. And I owe Marie several uh, apologies for uh, putting my own uh, definition of several onto her. Um, The question Marie has is what are the three things that need to happen for Notre Dame to have the best chance to win the game on Friday? And the other question, with the loss of Peyton Bowen, does safety now become a priority in the transfer portal?
0: You know, it's interesting because this is a game you you could normally put like special teams in here. South Carolina may be the team that may be better than Notre Dame at special teams all around. They are really good in every phase of it. So they're probably going to cancel each other out there. So I would start with, Elite front seven play. Notre Dame needs to have a pass rush with Isaiah without Isaiah Fosky. they need to stop the run. That would be number one. number two uh, I would say control the control things offensively with the running game. Notre Dame needs to be able to pound South Carolina like it did the other team from South Carolina played on November 5th, which was Clemson. And then my third one would be win the turnover battle. Um, or at least be neutral in that. If Notre Dame gets sloppy with the ball, that's where it gets in trouble against teams that are not as good as Notre Dame. And I don't think South Carolina is as good as Notre Dame. I expect the Irish to win this game. And then I'll do the safety thing after you um, give your answers.
1: Yeah, I, I went a little bit more statistic based for my three things. My first one was Russ for two hundred plus yards. Well, I can't. I can't count. <laughs> well, uh, uh my second one was limit Spencer Rattler to two or less touchdown passes. Um And then my third one was score more touchdowns than field goals. I know that that seems like an obvious one. Thanks a lot, Captain Obvious. But um especially when it gets in the red zone, it needs to convert its opportunities into touchdowns rather than settling for field goals. Um As for Peyton Bowen, I'll lead with my Peyton Bowen answer. I I don't think Peyton Bowen should have impacted Notre Dame's portal search for a safety. I don't think it it would necessarily be fair to assume that he, his impact as a freshman, even as a five-star recruit, would be one that would prevent you from going and getting a safety who could contribute next season. Um, we haven't necessarily seen much movement there yet for Notre Dame um, in the transfer portal, but I think if there are uh, worthy options in the portal going into the spring yeah. – that Notre Dame will will entertain those because I think that is a position um, that Notre Dame could use some, some experience at, unless it wants, unless it feels extremely confident in what Ramon Henderson and Xavier Watts can do um, next season.
0: So I actually asked Marcus that question. I don't know if I, I think I cloaked it better than saying specifically safety, but I said, based on what happened in recruiting, does this change your transfer portal approach? And Marcus said, look, we don't depend on freshmen coming in and starting for us. We depend on some of them to help us, but he said, you know, out of all the freshmen that were in last year's class, we did not predict Ben Morrison was going to be the one that was going to be the starter. Um, So um, I don't think they were counting on Peyton Bowen starting for them, but certainly he's somebody that probably could have gotten on the field as a freshman, maybe had a role similar to Kyle Hamilton when he was a freshman when he was a a uh, big part of a you know dime package that was very effective. Um, I think there's a couple other things. I think maybe the search for the safety would be something you'd look post-spring when the second portal window opened between May 1st and May 15th. Because especially if Brandon Joseph decides, I'm going to put off the NFL one more year now, he was leaning hard the other way Um, The end of the season when he was injured may have affected his decision. The feedback he got from the NFL may affect his decision. Um, DJ Brown, I suppose, could come back as well. But I think if Brandon Joseph came back, that may, then you're thinking, okay, well, between Henderson, Joseph, um, and Xavier Watts, and maybe Walters, or one of the freshmen, um, that there's a nice rotation there that they like and if they feel like they're short again go go search for somebody there's going to be a a new shopping list in in may of guys that are uh looking for NIL money playing time or just to go to a bigger program
1: yeah and there still could be grad transfers um that just want to play in their bowl game and are waiting for that to happen to get into the we're not even through the the winter transfer portal window yet there's still guys that can enter enter the portal here in the next what is it like 18 days or something like that uh yeah january 18th is the deadline what uh all right let's get to our next question is from irish one (laughs) yeah a real brain fart there uh one irish one on the inside lounge how many players and coaches are currently missing for
0: the bowl game currently due to weather delays and flight cancellations Well, there was a handful of them Monday because Tyler saw one at the Jacksonville airport waiting for his luggage. And that was Tariq Bracey. Yeah, Uh, I
1: can can confirm that Tariq Bracey arrived in Jacksonville around 6.30 p.m. Eastern uh, on Monday evening around the same time I did. I I didn't we didn't get a clear answer on how long of a day his travel day was yesterday. We were pretty limited in the amount of questions we had to ask him and probably didn't do 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 so in the most uh, efficient way. So I don't know exactly what his, his travel war story was, but um, my understanding is that everyone is here now. I, I don't know if there's anyone that's missing. Um, I, there were just some long travel days yesterday across anyone, anyone traveling across the country with all the different weather situations going on, but Notre Dame was certainly working hard to get everyone here. It wasn't like uh, if Notre Dame, if Notre Dame was adamant that everyone needed to be at practice yesterday, they probably wouldn't have scheduled the day they would have, and they had a, had guys coming in that day, knowing that there would be the chance that something like this could happen. So it wasn't like these guys would get reprimanded or anything for missing for missing practice yesterday. Usually the travels. I'm things... you let a tiny little snowstorm <laughs> affect your travel? Usually Notre Dame is the one arranging the travel in the first place, so it's not like they were doing a poor job. Of, uh, now, obviously, if they didn't show up where they needed to be when they were supposed to be somewhere that 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 might be a different story all right another question from the inside line from rrh1 who do you expect to be Andy's starting linebackers next season
0: i would say jd bertrand lock that down as the middle linebacker and i'm going to go out on a limb here and i'm going to say Jalen sneed at rover and then that puts you in a um dilemma at um weak side linebacker and I think it'll be either Kaiser or Leah Fow. I think they'll let those guys compete. And the person that doesn't win that may decide not not to stick with the program, or they may. Uh, but the thing is, you got Prince Colley running up behind them that's an ascending player that also plays that position. You also have Drake Bowen coming in, although I think Drake could be a middle linebacker. Um, and I think Drake will play some as a freshman. Um, so that's how I think, I think Jalen Snead is going to make the progression needed to be a starter. And I think that's what I want to emphasize in my prediction.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm not ready to go there yet. Um, I, I don't know that I feel very confident in sort of any prediction, really. I mean, beyond JD Bertrand, I don't know that I just can say with like a, a bunch of confidence that I know how the other two positions will line up. My Prediction, since you're making me make one, it, it would be Prince Colley and Jack Kaiser. Jack Kaiser staying at Rover and Prince Colley, um essentially replacing Maris Leofile, um at that will linebacker position. I think there will be opportunities for many guys to play. I think the rotation will certainly be deeper um, this this coming season. I think we'll, you'll see more guys get onto the field. Um, I'm just not ready to say. To me, to me, to me, Jalen Sneed is like a blind leap of faith as, as this as the starter for next season, just because I haven't seen enough of him yet uh to to have any confidence in saying that he would be in a position to start next season.
0: I I have confidence in his coach BJ Payne and his football knowledge. He's All right. One with that.
1: Next question is from Dunnigan eighty on the Insider Lounge. Best comp on Jalen Sneed. and the comp that Dunnigan suggested was Ernie Sims from Florida State. I know he would have a long way to go. However, athleticism side and speed, speed it has me hopeful.
0: You know the um, Jalen's downside or what what's held him back is he showed up seventeen years old, one hundred ninety eight pounds. And had never really honed in on the linebacker position. He played all over the place for Hilton Head Island, South Carolina High School football team by necessity. Uh, again, I had a long conversation with his coach, B.J. Payne. Um, and so now he's learning how to be a linebacker. And he definitely has the skill set. I'm not good at comps, especially on other teams and other systems. I would say the hope is, and BJ said I wasn't off base in saying this, so I'll blame him or give him credit, is that Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa is the comp. And when I asked Al Golden about that, he said that's what we think that he can eventually become is Jeremiah Owusu-Kormoa, which is very high praise, saying that you could be the College Butkus Award winner and the uh, – and a unanimous all-american but again Jeremiah didn't have a tackle to his credit until his junior year and then he became the player that we know Jeremiah is now yeah
1: i i don't like forcing a comp when i don't have one so i i don't i don't really have I have one of I, this i think my my Jalen Sneed opinion is is like incomplete I, I mean we're just going off of things for hearing i mean he's done so little this season for us to have uh, like any change in opinion of of him as what he was as a recruit to what he is now, for for me to have too strong of opinion to make it like a player comp. So, I think I, I think I understand the Jeremiah Usukor Mo one and getting there and that being the goal. But
0: um, in terms of like s- some unique opinion if that I have, he has, my... I would say it's fair to say he has a lot of the traits Jeremiah does now. Can he translate? He... He... He that's the, what you need to see to be confident right yeah he's yeah had, absolutely he's an explosive athlete but we haven't seen that in a we haven't seen a stretch of that in structured football as a linebacker we've just seen right. the raw talent right right yeah i mean yeah if we're just doing like combine things like yeah we
1: can yeah. sort of compare guys to get but like yeah what he looks like as a football player at the college level i
0: mean that he's he's a blank canvas from my from my standpoint And the other thing I really like about him is with everything that's kind of gone against him, his confidence hasn't been shaken one bit. (laughs) He He is absolutely certain that this is going to happen for him. Now, he's had some long days and hard days, but he knows that he can be really good. Next question is from Henry Bede at
1: Henry Bede. Which early enrollee freshman are you most excited to see during spring
0: practice? Okay, I'm gonna let you go first because I took all your answers last time. I mean, it would be easier for me to say which ones I'm not excited about. <laughs> <laughs> a very short list.
1: Well, he said "fresh man" plural or singular, so I I limited myself okay. to one. Um, okay. And my choice my choice was Jaden Greathouse. Uh, I want to see how ready he is. What does he bring that could be different to Notre Dame's wide receiver room? Um, he's he's been the most prolific and productive as a high school wide receiver. Um, so that, that is the person that I want to, to, uh, to see um, this spring. And, and before you answer, I'll give the, the listeners the list. So they know who we're choosing from um, Adon Schuler, Drake Bowen, Preston Zinter, Braylon James, Sam Pendleton, Devin Houston, Rico Flores, Jr. Christian, Christian Gray,
0: Jaden Greathouse, Jaden Osberry, Ben Minnick and Kenny Minchie. Okay, I'll give one on each side of the ball. I do think Great House would be my number one on offense because he has a chance to play as a freshman, and he's the best of, right now, those freshman receivers, allegedly. Um, The most polished, the most complete. So yeah, I want to see him. I mean, Kenny Minchie, I wanted to say him, but he's (laughs) going to be the fifth string quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. How much are we going to see
1: Kenny Minchie? Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Kenny's going to be getting the ball for Sam Hartman and Tyler Buckner. Um, (laughs) And then on defense, I'm going to say Christian Gray uh, because I think he can help them right out of the box. I'm excited to see him, you know, from a, um practicality standpoint this one of those safeties needs to be camera ready um and i'm including brandon hillman as a safety right now until i hear differently but um i think those guys are are exciting to see it's it's interesting how low brandon hillman is ranked by the recruiting services including ours rivals and how high the people on our recruiting beat have hillman way above some four star guys in terms of how they would you know catalog the one through twenty four uh recruits coming in.
1: Yeah. It was like as soon as Peyton Bowen signed with Oklahoma, it's like oh, up <laughs> or I guess I guess it was before he signed with Oklahoma it was when he committed to Oregon, everyone was like, okay, Brandon Hillman is now a safety. Like <laughs> it was like everyone was just waiting for that to happen and for it to like that be the, the green light. Uh, we we have known that Notre Dame had interest in him as a potential safety. I think it was one of the many things that Notre Dame was doing to prepare itself for the possibility of Peyton Bowen not being in the class, um, while also like not giving Peyton Bowen another reason to to not come to Notre Dame. Like Notre Dame would have been happy with Brandon Hillman uh, uh, competing to be a whether it's a running back or receiver, doing something on the offense. Um, but the the need sort of switched up there pretty quickly once Peyton Bowen went elsewhere because uh, they do need some guys to help at safety. And I don't know that like there's one guy there between Ben Minnick and Adon Chula It's like, okay, the, that guy is clearly better than Brandon Hillman he's going to be able to compete right away. Um, I think the, all three of those guys will have sort of a, a, a shot at, at doing that um, at Notre Dame. I don't, I don't know how soon any of those guys will impact, but we'll, We'll see how that that plays out. All right. Next one is from Clan AD uh, from the Insider Lounge. Do you think it's time Notre Dame just says F it and creates the new academic conference with like-minded, character-driven, academically qualified, and degree-minded institutions and actual student-athletes? The NCAA NIL transfer portal non-rule-following institutions and academically non-qualified athletes are ruining college sports and have turned college athletics into the newest online gambling of the 21st century?
0: Well, the little manifesto at the end of the question didn't affect my answer. My answer would be, hell no. I mean, if if Notre Dame wants to do that, then join the Ivy League. I mean, and then nobody would watch. Nobody would care. Notre Dame would be irrelevant. Um, you know, Notre Dame will find its way in this weird Wild West thing that we're in right now. But no way would what i want you know what i think that is a good thing no way right i mean that
1: that's quitting in my opinion like that yeah. that there is not going to succeed whatever whatever you think that is like the ivy league is like if people want if people truly wanted that the ivy league would be a much bigger deal than it is it's existed for a very long time um and no one's turned tuning into ivy league games on saturdays uh, uh to have choices
0: otherwise or don't have connections to those schools and then watch them do a quiz bowl right after the game.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I understand that Notre Dame fans who want to win are sort of tired of trying to be different and want to sacrifice some of the things that make Notre Dame different. But I think that's sort of against the point of what Notre Dame wants to be I think clan AD wants them to lean the other way versus the other part of the fan base that wants them to just say, Hey, screw it. Let's just be like everyone else. But Notre Dame wants to be elite athletically and elite academically and believes it is achievable I I tend to agree that it is achievable I do think that's the harder path but um I think there are other things that Notre Dame can do to sort of make itself more competitive whether it's being more lenient with the transfer portal somehow coming up with a better game plan for on the NIL front I think that there has to be a better way from what sort of this notion of where Notre Dame is at right now and what what is available elsewhere um but why, all of these things are like evolving. We don't know how all this stuff is going to look in a year or two. I mean, this is the, I, I think, I, I think people are jumping three steps ahead and saying, this is the start of the end for, for a program like Notre Dame or a program that wants to have morals. Um, I don't think it's that different. And I, <laughs> and I like, I think, I think we're forgetting that these money exchanges are not new, just the way they're talked about and covered and, and, Hidden under NIL now. That's the new part of this. These guys weren't like the, the top teams in the country weren't not make, were not making payments to, to players previously. That happened. There's evidence of it. There's been cases of it. The NCAA is just can't, they can't possibly govern it. And so it just has never been, it's never been stopped. And this is just only amplifying it. I, I just don't think that this is something um, that is like, irrecoverable and that Notre Dame is no longer going to be able to compete in this, this, this atmosphere. I just don't think that's, that's the reality of what's going on right now.
0: It's kind of like, you know, your parents went out of town and you got grocery money and you bought, you know, candy and um, cereal and they came back and they, they couldn't do anything about it. So you kept buying candy and cereal. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was funny. I got a funny quick little story with Jim Coletto um went was Notre Dame's offensive coordinator when he moved here during the Bob Davie era to become their offensive coordinator I had known Jim from when he was the head coach at Purdue because I had covered the Big Ten and my wife and I were in Martins which is a local grocery chain here and we ran into Jim and Jim had donuts and cereal and all his other sugary things in his and I'm like is your family here, Jim, or is your wife here yet? No. He goes, I'm by myself. And my wife looks at his grocery basket and, you know, we chat a little bit and he went off she goes, should we invite him to dinner? It doesn't look like he's eating. right." <laughs> yeah.
1: All right. The uh, last question is from Irish Runt on the inside lounge, uh, a bit of a long one again. So bear with me. Can you provide clarity on the upcoming playoff structure in 2024 and what the revenue-sharing agreements look like, would it be more beneficial from a revenue perspective to have a home game and not have the buy? Do we get some of the TV revenue share for that game if we were to play in one? Would it be on NBC? If we are away and made a playoff game, would we get any additional revenue? Also, is my understanding correct that if we were the 12th-ranked team by the playoff committee and the highest-ranked non-Power 5 conference team was ranked lower, let's say
0: seventeen? they would get in over the 12th ranked team. Okay. Let, let's go over those one at a time. Let's back up and do that last one first. So the composition of the playoff is going to be the top four teams, top four seeds will be the four highest ranked conference champs. Then you will have a pool of eight teams, six at large teams. Um, and then the next two highest ranked conference champs. One of those has to be the group of five. So if, uh, because there's only five power five. And so the best of the, you know, uh, it's conceivable that the group of five would be ranked higher than a power five or two. But in general, that's going to be the sixth one. So there's, there's the possibility that two teams could not be in the top 12 and make the playoff. And in that instance, yeah. Notre Dame or another at-large team would have to be at least eleventh or tenth to make the playoff field, based on those teams not being in the top twelve themselves.
1: Yeah, I think the way I've I've been thinking about it, like there's a difference between the rankings and the seedings. Like the top four seeds aren't the top four ranks teams. Right, those are just the top four seeds. Like you could have the the team that's the sixth best, but also is one of the four best conference champions in one of the top four seeds, So I think that's something just to keep. That's at least. Notre Dame can go
0: no higher than five. They could be the number one team and they're going to be the fifth seed. Right. They could be ranked number one, but they can't be higher than the fifth seed. Right. Okay. Ask me another one of of those ones that he had. Um, What do the revenue sharing agreements look like? Do you have any information on that? I don't think that they finalized those yet. So uh, I do think that they are expecting to make four hundred and fifty million more dollars than what they make from the fourteen playoff, collectively. Yeah, and uh, the other questions are we're all sort of related to that, so I don't know that we well, have answers like, to that. Do they? Yeah, I I think that the thought is that Notre Dame, if it hosts a home game, will be able to keep that revenue. I don't know how much they would get as a visiting team in the five versus twelve games. Um Again, a lot of these have to work out. The NBC thing is a negotiation. You know, they're coming up on a new media rights deal, so um, that's going to. I don't. On I, I would almost guarantee. I mean, whatever whatever the TV contract is for
1: the playoff, it does not. I mean, at this point, it doesn't include NBC. Like Notre Dame couldn't, couldn't say like, "Hey, we have a home contract with NBC, so this is a home game." So they get right, right. I don't think they these are all
0: be, negotiations. You know, right. these are all negotiations. How they're how they're going to make that make those play out so um you know maybe we can get Jack Swarbrick to come on here and talk about his musical preferences and answer some of these questions because he's really at the nexus of all this stuff I mean he was in large part the architect of the 12 team playoff and the presenter
1: yeah I
0: mean just typical like college
1: football nonsense like Th- this finally getting approved after all this time, like, comes right before bowl season. Like, no one has time to t- – t- like, we haven't – no one has had time to look into any of these things because yeah. we're covering the transfer. Like, it's just uh, the it, – it's something that needs to be revisited.
0: But the way – Well, it, and the, they also the, moved the timetable up very recently. It was going to be 2026. Right. That's what I mean, 20-
1: that this – moving into it to 2024 just happened in, like, December – And it's like, well, this is the last thing we're worried about right now. guys. Like, There's other things going on. Like, congratulations,
0: this thing that we've all been waiting for is finally going to happen. We don't know what – it may look different in 2026 because it's going to be a different TV deal. I mean, they're going to have to amend the one that they have for these next two years, and then 2026 could be completely different. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports
1: Podcast. If you don't already – You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with the first person you see to start the new year. We want to get to 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts in 2023. I believe we're currently at 63, so we could use your help. You can leave awesome reviews like this one from Be Steady to Your Purposes. And it's titled Honest, Insightful Coverage of the ND Football Beat. I've been following Eric Hansen and Tyler James for over a decade, and they're the standard for honest, insightful local coverage of Notre Dame football. With the South Bend Tribune and before social media produced so much more content, Hansen started his live weekly chats and spent hours answering readers' questions. As journalism has evolved, so too have Hansen and James. Yet they still produced honest, insightful coverage. They have a variety of guests connected to the program, recruiting, and college football. And answer readers' questions and place your bets each week on Vegas's ND lines. On top of that, Hanson and James are humble and they provide enough insight without overindulging. I've long admired Hanson's humor to give these guys a follow. So I think uh, we did a little bit of overindulging there by reading that that review on the podcast, but I thought uh, that's sort of setting set the standard for, for people who want to leave us. Wait with a review. second. Is
0: that that Mary girl?
1: Is that, that? <laughs> no, no? There's way too there's way too mentions of Eric, too many mentions for Eric than there are of me for it to be for it to come from my mother. Uh, but yeah, it does does certainly sound like someone related to us or someone that we slipped a five to uh, to give us a, to give us a review. But we are looking for positive reviews. They don't do have to be it. Yeah, they, we they don't have to be that spectacular, but we love the feedback. So thank you. Be steady to your purposes, whoever you are. Uh, We'll be back with the Monday Night Live show on YouTube next Monday to recap the Gator Bowl, and we'll have a podcast during the week as well. Until then, stick with InsideNDSports.com for all your pregame and postgame coverage needs, and have a happy new year.